Welcome to the show, everybody. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and I'm coming to you live with the Only You Podcast, where I like to do books or read books to you that I feel are important, that I come across, that have helped me grow, to help me become a better person. And I'm doing this podcast this season because it's important to me to spread the word of great things and great books to people who may not realize how great they really are and that I believe every single individual out there has a power inside of them that is so deep and is so real that at one point in their life, somebody they come across will indeed see that power and love that power and accept that power for what they are and what that power is. And some people never find that. And that's a soulmate. Thank you for listening to the Only You Podcast. Today, I'm going to be reading to you a book that I came across called The Hidden Power. And The Hidden Power, I'm going to kind of skip around on this book today and do something a little bit different. It was written by Thomas Trollward, which I have spoke about this gentleman in my earlier podcasts. He was an English author whose works influenced the New Thought Movement and Mystic Christianity. And I told you that, you know, I know people that are, you know practicing mystic Christianity to this day. Troward was a divisional judge in Punjab in British-administered India. Wow. His avocation was the study of comparative religion. After his retirement from the uh, being a judge in 1896, Troward set out to apply logic and a judicial weighing of evidence in the study of matters of cause and effect. The philosopher William James characterized Troward's Edinburgh lectures on mental science as far and away the ablest statement of philosophy I have met. And hey, I want to share with you guys also about those um, Edinburgh lectures. Um, I believe there's a um, the a the AA when AA first started, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. They used to like push their people to read those Edinburgh um, lectures on mental science. So the people that, you know, Bill and the big book, I'm sure that there's stuff in there about that. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. Um, I'm telling you about Thomas Troward today. Um, Bob Proctor credited Troward's works on a number of occasions and cited the creative process in the individual as the most important in developing the persistence of an individual. And the creative process in the individual, that's a book that he had written also. I think you guys should check those books out. Um, Hopefully you'll check this book out that I'm going to share with you today. I enjoyed it. I'm going to kind of skip around the hidden power and I'm going to start... actually way into the book and this is a chapter called yourself i feel like this is important to share with you guys and it was it was interesting i want to talk to you about the liveliness there is in being yourself it has at least the merit of simplicity for it must surely be easier to be oneself than to be something or somebody else yet that is what so many are constantly trying to do the self that is their own is not good enough for them, and so they are always trying to go one better than what God has made them. 
the endless strain and struggle as the as the consequence of course they are right to put before them an ideal infinitely grander than anything they have yet attained the only possible way of progress is by following an ideal that is always a stage ahead of us but the mistake is in not seeing that its attainment is a matter of growth and that growth must be the expansion of something that already exists in us and therefore implies our being that we are and were and where we are as its starting point this growth is a continuous process and we cannot do next month's growth without first doing this month but we are always wanting to jump into some ideal of the future not seeing that we can reach it by steadily going on from where we are now the considerations should make us more confident and more comfortable we are employing a force which is much greater than we believe ourselves to be yet it is not separate from us and needing to be persuaded and compelled or inveigled into doing what we want it is the substrate of our own being which is continually passing up into manifestation on the visible plane and becoming that personal self to which we often limit our attention without considering whence it proceeds but in truth the outer self is the surface growth of that individual excuse me of that individuality which lies concealed far down in the deeps below and which is none other than the spirit of life which underlies all forms of manifestation endeavor to realize what this spirit must be in itself that is to say apart from any of the conditions that arise from the various relations which necessarily establish themselves between its various forms of individualization and its homogeneous self what else can it be but pure life essence of life if you like so to call it then realize that as essence of life it exists in the innermost of everyone of its forms of manifestation and as perfect simplicity as any we can attribute to it in our most abstract conceptions in this light we see it to be the eternally self generating power which to express itself flows into form the universal essence of life is a continual becoming into form and since we are a part of nature we do not need to go further than ourselves to find the life giving energy at work with all its powers hence we excuse me hence all we have to do is to allow it to rise to the surface we do not have to make it rise any more than the engineer who sinks the bore pipe for an 
artisan well has to make excuse me for an artesian well has to make the water rise in it the water does that by its own energy springing as a fountain a hundred feet into the air just so we shall find a fountain of essence of life ready to spring up in ourselves inexhaustible and continually increasing in its flow as one taught long ago to a woman at a wayside well this upspringing of life essence is not another's it is our own it does not require deep studies hard labors weary journeyings to attain it it is not the monopoly of this teacher or that writer those lecturers we must attain or whose books we must read to get it it is the innermost of ourselves and a little common sense thought as to how anything comes to be anything will soon convince us that the great inexhaustible life must be the very root and substance of us permeating every fiber of our being surely to be this vast infinitude of living power must be enough to satisfy all our desires and yet this wonderful ideal is nothing else but what we already are and principio and principle it is all there is ourselves now only awaiting our recognition for its manifestation it is not the essence of life which has to grow for that is eternally perfect in itself but it is our recognition of it that has to grow and this growth cannot be done or forced it must come by a natural process the first necessity of which is to abstain from all straining after being something which at the present time we cannot naturally be the law of our evolution has put us in possession of certain powers and opportunities and our further development depends on our doing just what these powers and opportunities make it possible for us to do here and now if we do what we are able to do today it will open the way for us to do something better tomorrow and in this manner the growing process will proceed healthily and happily in a rapidly increasing ratio this is so much easier than striving to compel things to be what they are not and it is also so much more fruitful in good results it is not sitting still doing nothing and there is plenty of room for the exercise of all our mental fac faculties and these faculties are themselves the outcome of the essence of life and are not the creating power but only that which gives direction to it now it is this moving power at the back of the various faculties that is the true innermost self and if we realize the identity between the innermost and the outermost we shall see that we therefore have at our present disposal all the necessary things for our unlimited 
development in the future. Thus, our liveliness consists simply in being ourselves, only more so, and in recognizing that this get rid of a great burden of unnecessary straining and striving, and the place of the old strum and drag, oh, strum and drag, will <clears throat> be taken not by inertia, but by a joyous activity which knows that it always has the requisite power to manifest itself in forms of good and beauty. What matters it whither this leads us? If we are following the line of the beautiful and good, then we shall produce the beautiful and good, and thus bring increase uh, excuse me, and thus bringing increasing joy into the world, whatever particle form it may assume. We limit ourselves when we try to fix accurately beforehand the particular form of good that we shall produce. We should aim not so much at having or making some particular thing as at expressing all that we are. The expressing will grow out of realizing the treasures that are ours already and contemplating the beauty, the affirmation side of all that we are now. Apart from the negative conceptions and distractions which veils this positive good from us. When we do this, we shall be astonished to see what possibilities reside in ourselves as we are and with our present surroundings all unlovingly as we may deem them and commencing to work at once upon whatever we find of affirmative in these and withdrawing our thought from what we have hitherto seen of negative in them. The right road will open up before us, leading us in wonderful ways to the development of powers that we never suspected and the enjoyment of happiness that we never anticipated. We have never been out of our right path, only we have been walking in it backwards instead of forwards. And now that we have begun to follow the path in the right direction, we find that it is none other than the way of peace, the path of joy, and the road to eternal life. These things we may attain by simply living naturally with ourselves. It is because we are trying to be or do something which is not natural to us that we experience weariness and labor where we should find our activities joyously concentrated on objects which lead to their own accomplishment by the force of, of the love that we have for them. But when we make the grand discovery of how to live naturally, we shall find it to be all and more than all that we had ever desired and our daily life will become a perpetual joy to ourselves, and we shall radiate light and life wherever we go. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is a podcast that I do, and it's live. And today I'm sharing with you a book by Thomas Troward called The Hidden Power. And that chapter was called Yourself. 
and it was pretty far into the book. Um, I'm going to share with you now some out of the hidden power. To realize fully how much of our present daily life consists in symbols is to find the answer to the old, old question. What is truth? And in the degree in which we begin to recognize this, we begin to approach truth. The realization of truth consists in the ability to translate symbols, whether natural or conventional, into their equivalents. And the root of all the errors of mankind consists in the inability to do this and in maintaining that the symbol has nothing behind it. The great duty incumbent on all who have attained to this knowledge is to impress upon their fellow men that there is an inner side to things, and that until this inner side is known, the things themselves are not known. There is an inner and an outer side to everything, and the quality of the superficial mind which causes it to fail and the attainment of truth is its willingness to rest content with the outside only. So long as this is the case, it is impossible for a man to grasp the import of his own relation to the universal, and it is this relation which constitutes all that is significant by the word truth. So long as a man fixes his attention only on the superficial, it is impossible for him to make any pro progress in knowledge. He is denying that principle of growth, which is the root of all life, whether spiritual, intellectual, or material. For he does not stop to reflect that all which he sees as the outer side of things can result only from some germinal principle hidden deep in the center of their being. And germinal is like, you know, a germ or germs, like <coughs> a coughing germ. <laughs> Ex excuse me expansion from the center by growth according to a necessary order of consequence excuse me expansion from the center of growth according to a necessary order of sequence this is the law of life of which the whole universe is the outcome alike in the one great solidarity—excuse me—solidarity of cosmic being, as in the separate individuals of its minutest organisms. This great principle is the key to the whole riddle of life. Upon whatever plane we contemplate it, and without this key, the door from the outer to the inner side. Of things can never be opened. It is therefore the duty of all to whom this door has at least in some measure been opened to endeavor to acquaint others with the fact that there is an inner side to things and that life becomes truer and fuller in proportion as we penetrate to it and make our estimates of all things according to what becomes visible from this interior point of view. In the widest sense, everything 
is a symbol of that which constitutes its inner being. And all nature, excuse me, and all nature is a gallery of archaea revealing great truths to those who can decipher them. But there is a more precise sense in which our current life is based upon symbols in regard to the most important subjects that can occupy our thoughts. The symbols by which we strive to represent the nature and being of God and the manner in which the life of man is related to the divine life. The whole character of a man's life results from what he really believes on this subject, not his formal st statement of belief in a particular creed, but what he realizes as the stage which his mind has actually attained in regard to it. Has a man's mind only reached the point at which he thinks it is impossible to know anything about God or to make any use of the knowledge if he had it? Then his whole interior world is in the condition of confusion which must necessarily exist where no spirit of order has yet begun to move up the chaos in which are indeed the elements of being, but all disordered and naturalizing one another has he advanced a step further and realized that there is a ruling and an ordering power but beyond this is ignorant of its nature. Then the unknown stands to him for the terrific and amid a tumult of fears and distresses that deprive him of all strength to advance. He spends his life in the endeavor to propitiate this power as something naturally adverse to him, instead of knowing that it is the very center of his own life and being. And so on through every degree, from the lowest depths of ignorance to the greatest heights of intelligence, a man's life must always be the exact reflection of that particular stage which he has reached and the perception of the divine nature and of his own relation to it and as we approach the full perception of truth to the life principle within us the old bonds and limitations which no which had no existence in reality fall off from us and we enter into reigns of light liberty and power of which we had previously no conception it is impossible therefore to Overestimate the importance of being able to realize the symbol for a symbol and being able to penetrate the inner substance which it represents. Life itself is to be realized only by the conscious experience of its liveliness in ourselves, and it is the endeavor to translate these experiences into terms which shall suggest a corresponding idea to the others that gives rise to all symbols. The nearer those we address have approached to the actual experience, the more transparent the symbol becomes. And the further they are from such experience, the thicker is the veil, and our whole progress consists in the fuller and fuller translation 
of the symbols into clearer and clearer statements of that for which they stand. But the first step, without which all succeeds one must remain impossible, is to convince people that symbols are symbols and not the very truth itself. And the difficulty consists in this, that if the symbol symbolism is in any degree adequate, it must, in some measure, represent the form of truth. Just as the modeling of a drapery suggests the form of the figure beneath, they have a certain consciousness that somehow they are in the presence of truth, and this leads people to resent any removal of those folds of drapery which have hitherto conveyed this idea to their minds. There is sufficient indication of the inner truth in the outward form to afford an excuse for the tumultuous and those who have not sufficient mental energy to think for themselves to cry out that finally finale, excuse me, finality has already been attained and that any further search in the matter must end in the destruction of truth. But in raising such an outcry, they betray their ignorance of the very virtue of truth, which is that it can never be destroyed. The very fact that truth is truth makes this impossible. And again, they exhibit their ignorance of the first principle of life, namely the law of growth, which throughout the universal perpetuality pushes forward into more and more vivid forms of expression, having expansion everywhere and finality now nowhere. Such ignorance, excuse me, such ignorant objections need not therefore alarm us, and we should endeavor to show those who make them that what they fear is the only natural order of the divine life, which is over all and through all, and in all. But we must do this gently and not by forcibility thrusting upon them the object of their terror and so repelling them from all study of the subject. We should endeavor gradually to lead them to see that there is something interior to what they have hitherto held to be ultimate truth and to realize the sensation of emptiness and dis dissatisfaction which from time to time will persist to make itself felt in their hearts is nothing else than the pressing forward of the spirit within to declare that inner side of things which alone can satisfactorily account for what we observe on the exterior and without the knowledge of which we can never perceive the true nature of our inheritance in the universal life, which is the life everlasting. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and I'm reading to you The Hidden Power by Thomas Troward. What then is the central, central principle, which is at the root of all things? It is life, but not life as we recognize it in particular forms of manifestation, it is something more interior and concentrated than that. It is that 
unity of the spirit, which is unity, simplicity, but because it has not yet passed into diversity, perhaps this is not an easy idea to grasp, but it is the root of all scientific conception of spirit, for without it there is no common principle to which we can refer the innumerable forms of manifestation that spirit assumes. It is the conception of life as the sum total of all its undistributed powers, being as yet none of these in particular, but all of them in potentiality. This is, no doubt, a higher abstract idea, but it is essentially that of the center from which growth takes place, expansion in every direction. This is that last part which defies all our powers of analysis. This is truly the unknowable. Not, not in the sense of unthinkable, but in of the, excuse me guys, but of the unanalyzable. It is subject of perception, not of knowledge. If by knowledge we mean that faculty which estimates the relations between things, because here we have passed beyond any questions of relations and are face to face with the absolute, this is innermost of all, excuse me, this is innermost of all is absolute spirit. It is life as yet not differentiated into any specific mode. It is the universal life which pervades all things and is at the heart of all appearances. Man, is that not a powerful chapter? Wow, that sounds awesome. I also want to share with you uh, in The Hidden Power, um, I think it's, uh, what is higher thought? Resolution passed. So, excuse me, guys. I I just read something. I was, it wasn't part of the book, actually. Uh, uh, life itself, it must spring up to the ultimate ruin of the life principle itself. We are itself. The difference is only that between the generic and the specific of something, we must contend earnestly with, excuse me, both within ourselves and outwardly, for the one great foundation, and never now on to all eternity admit for a single instant any thought which is opposed to this, the basic truth of being. The leading idea connected with higher thought are that man controls circumstances instead of being controlled by them, and as a consequence of the foregoing, that whatever teaches us to rely on power uh, borrowed from a source outside our, ourselves is not higher thought, and that whatever explains to us the infinite source of our own inherent powers and the consequent limitless nature of that power is higher thought. This avoids the use of terms which may only puzzle. So, God is love. Man having the understanding of God speaks the word of power. Man gives 
utterance to God. The Father is equilibrium. The Son is concentration of the same Spirit. The Spirit is projection. Sounds about right. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. And today I'm sharing with you hit, uh, The Hidden Power by a gentleman t- named Thomas Trudeau, which I have included him in um, other podcasts. In contemplating the relations between body, soul, and spirit, between universal mind and individual mind, the, the methodology study of this constitutes mental science we must never forget that these relations indicate not the separateness, but the unity of these principles. We must learn not to attribute one part of our action to one part of our being and another to another. Neither the action nor the function are split up into separate parts. The action is a whole and the being that, excuse me, yeah, and the being that does it is a whole, and in the healthy organism, the reciprocal movements of the principles are so harmonious as never to suggest any feeling than that of a perfectly whole and undivided self. If there is any other feeling, we may be sure that there is abnormal action somewhere, and we should set ourselves to discover and remove the cause of it. The reason for this is that In any perfect organism, there cannot be more than one center of control. A rivalry of controlling principles would be the destruction of the organism as a whole. For either the elements would separate and the group themselves around, excuse me, The elements would separate and group themselves round one or other of the center according to their respective affinities, and thus form two distinctive individuals, or else they would be reduced to a condition of merely chaotic confusion. In either case, the original organism would cease to exist. Seen in this light, therefore, it is a self-evident truth that if we are to retain our individuality, in other words, if we are to continue to exist, it can be only by retaining our hold upon the central controlling principle in ourselves. And if this be the character of our being, it follows that all our future development depends on our recognizing and accepting this center controlling principle. To this end, therefore, all our endeavors should be directed, for otherwise all our studies in mental science will only lead us into a confused labyrinth of principles and counter-principles which will be considerably worse than the state of ignorant simplicity from which we started. The central controlling principle is the will, and we must never lose sight of the fact that all the other principles about which we have learnt in our studies exist only as its instruments. The will 
is the true self, of which they are all functions and all progress consists of our increased recognition of the fact. It is the will that says, I am, and therefore, however exalted, and even in their higher developments, apparently miraculous, our powers may be, they are all subject to the central controlling power of the will. When the enlightened will shall have learned to identify itself perfectly with the limitless powers of knowledge, judgment, and creative thought, which are at its disposal, then the individual will have attained to perfect wholeness and all limitations will have passed away forever. And nothing short of this consciousness of perfect wholeness can satisfy us. Everything that falls short of it is in that degree an embodiment of the principle of death, that great enemy against which the principle of life must continue to wage unceasing war in whatever form or measure it may show itself until death is swallowed up in victory. There can be no compromise. Either we are affirming life as a principle or we are denying it, no matter on how great or how small a scale by which to determine our attitude is our realization of our own wholeness. Death is the principle of disintegration and whenever we admit the power of any portion of our organism, whether spiritual or bodily, to induce any condition independently of the intention of the will, we admit that the force of disintegration is superior to the controlling center in ourselves and we conceive of ourselves as held in bondage by an adversary which bondage the only way to release is by the attainment of a truer way of thinking. And the reason is that either through ignorance or carelessness we have surrounded our position of control over the system as a whole and have lost the element of purpose around which the consciousness of individuality must always center. Every state of our consciousness, whether active or passive, should be the result of a direct purpose adopted by our own free will. For the passive state should be quite as much under the control of the will as the active. It is the lack of purpose that derives us of power. The higher or more clear defined our purpose, the greater stimulus we have for realizing our control over all our faculties for its attainment and since the grandest of all purposes is the strengthening and enabling of life in proportion as we make this our aim we shall find ourselves in union with the supreme universal mind acting each in our individual sphere for the furtherance of the same purpose which animates the ruling principles of the great whole and as a consequence shall find that its intelligence and powers are at our disposal and thank you guys for 
listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and I'm coming to you live, and I make a lot of mistakes, but hey, hopefully you're enjoying this. This is The Hidden Power by Thomas Trudeau, and I know there's a lot of hard words in this book, too, but this was a really good read, you guys, and thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for sharing me, and I do want to say that I believe that every person out there, no matter who you are, and I, I listen to people around me, and they're like, oh, yeah, that person's so stupid, or, oh, this person, that, you know, they they say things about people, and then all it takes is two people in a social situation to have a similar thought about somebody, and then it spreads like a wildfire. And then people make fun of them people, and people talk about them people, and you know what? Each one of them people... There's somebody out there in the world that, you know, they know that person and they know how powerful they are. And this is how people get into situations where bad things happen. And it's a horrible social interaction to see because every person has a power that nobody even knows about. And some people don't even know how to harness their powers, you know, but like this book says, you know, it comes a point when the spirit has to push forward. You may dep be depressed right now. You may be sad right now. You may be so upset and feel like, you know, the world's coming to an end. But your spirit in reality, as you're going through these motions, it is pushing forward. And that's what Thomas Trudeau was talking about in The Hidden Power, you know. And we, we, we got to start seeing society is like, wait a minute. You know, get caught talking good about somebody behind their back. You know, and I'm not saying that I like everybody, but you know what? In a social situation, I do try to make myself flexible. And it, I've, I've come across somebody that, you know, gives me a trying time. You know, are they the problem or am I the problem? I must be the problem because, you know, they have no idea how I feel because they have no control over my feelings. Only you are in control of how you feel. Nobody can make you sad. Nobody can make you mad. Nobody can make you happy. And nobody sure as hell can make you feel any kind of way but you. And that's your power. Is finding how, out how to make you happy. And realizing that once you figure out your power, you can then help someone else develop their power. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. I'm going to cut this short today. I got a little bit of a cold, but thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Until next time.